This is Scott Archer, pastor of Central Congregational Church in La Mesa, California. Thank you so much for tuning into our Sunday service podcast, CCC Sunday Messages. I hope you find the messages both challenging and encouraging as you seek to know and follow Jesus in your daily life. If you live in or ever happen to visit the San Diego area, we would love to have you join us for worship and fellowship. For location, service times, and other information about our church, please visit our website at cccLamesa.com. CCC is a small but passionate intergenerational church working together for the glory of God and the good of our neighbors near and far. Well, believe it or not, after more than a year, we are... uh, This is our last Sunday in the Gospel of Mark. Um, We're going to be looking at Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8, as we conclude our series uh, entitled, Getting In on the Good News. And again, I hope this has been a helpful series for you. Um, I hope uh, that uh, it's been encouraging and challenging. If you've missed any Sundays, if you want to go back, there's audio versions of the most of the messages on our website, and there's video versions of the messages uh, since we've had the, the, the quarantine, and I'll try to get the audio ones caught up on the website as well. But um, this has been quite a journey, going from the beginning in chapter 1, where uh, Mark says the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the beginning of the good news of Jesus and about Jesus, to the point now this morning where we finally get to the resurrection of Jesus Christ after his brutal torture and crucifixion. And um, the title of this message this morning and of uh, looking at Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8, is The Resurrection, the Vindication of the Son of Man. The first thing you'll notice if you're looking at your Bible, and depending on what kind of Bible you have, is that uh, it'll have Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8, in the normal fashion that everything else in the gospel is. And then in most of your Bibles, there will be a line or a bracket or something. And the rest of the chapter in your Bible might be italicized, and there'll be a little reference note either in between or down at the bottom to let you know that the most reliable copies of the gospel of Mark that we have, the oldest ones, the most ancient reliable copies, the, the gospel ends at Mark chapter 16, verse 8. But it ends rather abruptly, as we'll see. It ends, uh, in a certain sense, if, if you've been going through this, if you were just reading it, it leaves you wanting. It seems unfinished. And what we believe, and pretty much every biblical scholar uh, believes this, is that um, when the copyists began to, you know, they found copies of the gospel of Mark and they began to co- make further copies, they thought, well, this can't be how he meant to end his gospel. Some, we must have lost something. And so they sort of tried to end it themselves. But it's very clear that the ending, uh, the longer ending, is not in, written in the same style. It, 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 um, it, it's just not the same. And they're almost uh, 100% biblical scholars believe everything past uh, verse 8 of Mark chapter 16 is added via copyist, and it's not the original ending of Mark's gospel. Now, um, that, and so I'm going to not deal with that part. I'm going to let you read that. It doesn't mean there isn't good stuff in there. Um, but I'm going to go with what, what we believe was Mark's gospel, and it's possible that we are missing the ending of Mark's gospel. 
uh, one of the foremost New Testament scholars and one of my favorite people to read uh, is N.T. Wright. And he's convinced that there, is, there was a, an ending to Mark's gospel beyond ch- uh, verse 8, uh, not what we have, but something that's been lost to us in antiquity, uh, because the gospel of Mark does in, or it begins with, this is the good news of Jesus Christ, and it ends on a sort of heavy note. And we sort of, even though there's the resurrection, we don't get to sort of see the follow-through of that with Jesus appearing to his disciples and commissioning them. Um, there's others that believe that Mark had an abrupt ending, and this is the end, that we didn't miss anything, and he did it on purpose to sort of put us in the position of coming to the empty tomb and hearing uh, the angel that just basically looks like a a man, a human, uh, saying, hey, he's not here, he's risen, and leaving with the women and and trying to wrap our brains around uh, what this means and could it be true. And maybe Mark wanted to leave us in that place of questioning to sort of uh, engender faith and thoughtfulness in us. My own feeling is that I, I, I believe with N.T. Wright that there probably was an ending, um, that Mark probably wrote some other things, but this is what's come down to us. And so I think it's providential that God has put us in this place. The rest of the Gospels, uh, Matthew, Luke, and John, fill out the rest of the story for us, so we don't really have to have it. They have their own perspectives, and they tell us about Jesus' appearance to his disciples and others. And so I think there's something interesting and helpful to us about the abrupt ending of the Gospel of Mark that causes us to sort of search and ponder and, and really open up our hearts to the Lord uh, in a different kind of way. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to just deal with Mark 16, 1 through 8. And again, I'll let you uh, read on your own verses 9 to the end. There's also two versions of the ending of Mark that was added, a short version and a long version. Most of your Bibles have the long version. The other thing I want to point out here as we come to this passage um, is the role of women in Mark's gospel, but also in all the other gospels. Um, it's so interesting. Um, we, the church uh, at various times and in certain places even today uh, really emphasizes the male-centricness of, uh, of the church and of the leadership and focuses on passages that sort of emphasize that. And yet, the very first witnesses of the resurrected Christ and the very first preachers of the gospel, if you will, the very first people to announce the good news of Jesus were women. Mary Magdalene, as in our passage, and others. They were the ones that Jesus said, go, get the other disciples and tell them that I am risen and that I will meet them. That's so interesting. It's important that we understand the value of, of women within the church of Jesus Christ and that they were the original witnesses of his resurrection. So here we are at the resurrection, chapter 16, and we want to talk about the vindication of the Son of Man. If you want to take notes, you should have received a PDF version of notes in your email and also they are available digitally through the YouVersion Bible app. I just realized the other day, I think I forgot to do the digital notes last Sunday, so if you were looking for those, I apologize, but I'll make sure that or they are there this week. And, um, and so let's, uh, let's get into it. Here's the central thought for this morning, and it's a little bit long, so hang with me. I know some of you are saying what's new, but uh, actually I think last week's was pretty short. So, um, The central thought is this. We get in on the good news one last time. We get in on the good news when we perceive in the bodily resurrection of Jesus the vindication of his messianic claims, 
the victory of God over death, sin, and satanic forces, and the vertex, or the focal point, of power shifting from religious and political centers and tactics to the kingdom of God and the way of the cross. We get in on the good news when we perceive in the bodily resurrection of Jesus the vindication of his messianic claims, the victory of God over sin and and, uh, death, sin and satanic forces, and the vertex of power shifting from religious and political centers and tactics to the kingdom of God and the way of the cross. So we'll unpack that and unpack this passage here. And we're going to be focusing primarily on verse 7. But let me note three facts about Mark's uh, resurrection picture here, and really this is probably true for all the other Gospels as well. Um, Three facts regarding the resurrection of Jesus, and then we will look at three implications of the resurrection. First of all, three facts. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, first of all, we need to understand, was completely unexpected. Completely unexpected. Um, There's been all sorts of arguments uh, since the time of Jesus and the time of the Gospels about did Jesus really rise, did he not rise? No, it's not possible. And the Gospel writers just created these stories. But, but especially in the Gospel of Mark, we recognize that nobody, not the disciples, not the religious leaders, not the women, nobody expected an empty tomb. Note at the, in, uh, in the end of Mark's Gospel, verse 6, it says, even though the women were instructed by, Jesus, instructed by the, the angel, to go and tell the disciples that Jesus had risen and to meet Jesus in Galilee, it says that they fled with bewilderment and terror and they didn't say anything to anybody at first. We know from the other Gospels that they did. They were so freaked out. This was so unexpected that they just ran away. They didn't even know how to respond. And we see that kind of response of confusion, bewilderment uh, from everyone. It was totally unexpected. It's hard for us to get into that because we know the end of the story, and so we're reading the gospel with this air or this this sense of expectation. But that is not what the original followers of Jesus expected. This was shocking, sort of terrifying, and then obviously, eventually, wonderful. The second fact, not only was the resurrection unexpected, but it was the resurrection of Jesus was indeed the vindication of all that Jesus said and did. And we're going to talk about this more in a moment. In Mark chapter 8, in Mark chapter 9, in Mark chapter 10, all those places around verse 30, 31, Jesus predicted those three times that they were going to Jerusalem, that he was going to be handed over to the religious leaders and the political leaders, that he was going to suffer, he was going to die, and he was going to rise again. And that's exactly what happened. Things played out exactly like he said. This didn't take Jesus by surprise. He wasn't a victim. And last week we said that the cross of Jesus is the the single identifier of the church of Jesus Christ, the thing that sets us apart. But his resurrection is the other side of that because it's the proof that what he said and what he accomplished on the cross was real and effective. And also it's the vindication of Jesus because what he said about himself. If you remember, he told uh, the thing that sort of sealed his fate with the religious leaders. He referred to himself as the son of man. And that was the, most, the, the, the highest exaltation he could give him of himself in a Jewish setting. 
And that's from Daniel chapter 7, starting at verse 13. Daniel said, In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man. Coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence, speaking of God the Father. He, Jesus, prophetically spoken of by Daniel, was given authority, glory, and sovereign powers. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Jesus referred to himself on purpose at using the term the Son of Man, specifically to make this claim that he is the direct fulfillment of that prophecy, and by his resurrection, he is vindicated in that claim. He is who he said he was. So Jesus' resurrection was completely unexpected, but it was the absolute and total vindication of what he said and who he was. And thirdly, most importantly for us, uh, is that the resurrection is the foundation of our hope, right? It's, it, and we're, again, we're going to talk about this more in just a minute. It is the, the foundation of our hope. There's a woman uh, named uh, Serene, uh, let me get her last name here, um, Serene Jones, and she is the president of Union Theological Seminary on the East Coast. I believe it's in New York. Um, and I'm sure Serene, this Miss Jones, Dr. Jones, I'm sure, is a wonderful woman. And I'm sure she's a very, very bright woman, but she is the president of a theological seminary. But she said this recently uh, during Easter, I think this past Easter, Easter, in regard to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Excuse me a moment. She said, you can believe in resurrection without believing in a bodily resurrection, obviously speaking of Jesus. Faith is more than adherence to rigid dogma, rigid doctrine. The truth about our lives, about our world, is God's love and grace will always have the final word, rejoice. Wow, that sounds so beautiful. That sounds so pretty and so helpful. But it is completely contrary to what the Apostle Paul says about the, the, the nature and the importance of the risen, of the resurrection of Jesus, of the physical, bodily resurrection of Jesus. Starting in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 16, he says, If the dead are not raised, if that's not possible for dead people to rise again, then Christ has not been raised either. And he's talking about the physical bodily resurrection of Christ, not just the resurrection of the Spirit of Christ, the idea of Jesus. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith and my faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep, died in Christ, are lost. Verse 19, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. The actual physical bodily resurrection, the empty tomb, is the foundation of our hope as followers of Jesus Christ. And I would just urge us not to let anybody sway us from that with pretty sounding language about, uh, about the love and grace of God, resurrection just reminding us in an ethereal way that love has the final word. Love was personified in Jesus, and Jesus was physically crucified, physically buried, and it says over and over again in the Gospels in the New Testament, and he physically rose again on the third day. And that is our hope, 
brothers and sisters. I was hoping that today might be a day that we could be together again and celebrate sort of a second Easter by the time we got here. I thought we'd be done with this COVID quarantine, but obviously we're not. But, I, but this passage has special meaning to me today because, um, as many of you know, uh, last year my father passed away after a thankfully brief battle with pancreatic cancer. And today is the one-year anniversary of his passing. And as much as I miss my father and I grieve the loss of his presence, can I just tell you, I share his great hope. I watched him when he was diagnosed, when he heard the diagnosis. I was there when he took his last breath. And to the very end, he was filled with a joy and a hope and even an anticipation of being present with the Lord and a confidence that this life and this death, his death, was not the end. He believed in the resurrection of Jesus, and so he believed in his own resurrection. And I believe that too, and so even though I miss my father, I am confident that Jesus was just the first fruits of those that would be risen from the dead. So those are three initial things. The the resurrection was unexpected. Um, Excuse me. It's the vindication of all that Jesus said and did, and it is the foundation of our hope. Now let's look quickly at three implications of the resurrection this morning. And again, I'm going to focus here specifically on verse uh, 7. First of all, if Jesus is actually risen from the dead, which I believe he is, and I know most of you do, but some of you might not, but if he has actually risen, if the tomb is really empty, because he is bodily risen from the dead, then we can trust everything Jesus said about himself. Every claim he made. In verse 7, the angel says to the ladies, you're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. He was crucified, but he is risen. He is not here. And he says to go tell his disciples that he'll be in Galilee to meet him. He's going ahead of them, just like he told you. He predicted it. He said it would happen, and it did. He is risen from the dead, and he is going ahead of them into Galilee. And because he is risen from the dead, we can trust everything he said. It vindicates who he is and what his message was. This is so important with, for us in all of life, but especially right now. There is so much mistrust in the world today. In the midst of all the social unrest, in the midst of the pandemic, we are struggling to know who to believe. Who can we trust? Brothers and sisters, those that are visiting, maybe those that are seeking, can I just urge you to look to Jesus, to get into the Gospels, Mark, Matthew, Luke, John, the rest of the New Testament. Test Jesus. Try Jesus. Open your heart in faith, and I believe you will find out that he is absolutely trustworthy because he is indeed the risen Savior. Jesus said things like this, and if he really rose from the dead, they resonate with so much power and hope. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 6 and 7, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Direction, truth, and life come in and through Jesus Christ being the very revelation of the nature and the purposes of God. If he's risen from the dead, then that's true, and he's the one we need to seek more than anyone else. He is the answer, the ultimate answer to everything that challenges us. 
In John chapter 11, verses 25 through 26, speaking to uh, the sister of Lazarus who had died and had been buried for four days, um, said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Will never, and he means will never finally fully die. Death won't be the end. And he looks at her and he says, do you believe this? And I would ask that question to you and me, friends, this morning. As we consider Mark's presentation of the uh, resurrection of Jesus Christ in Mark 16, 1 through 8, as the women, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, come to the tomb and he's not there. And the angel said, he's not here, he's risen. Go tell the disciples he's going to meet him in Galilee. Do we believe and do we trust now that because he's risen, we can have absolute confidence in who he is and what he says. The second implication of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is this. We can know that forgiveness is real and that neither our sin nor evil nor death have the last word. This is such great news. Um, He says, this angel tells the women... Go tell the disciples, and only in the Gospel of Mark, it says, go tell the disciples and Peter. And I know some of you have read this and noticed it before, but it's so important that we emphasize it again. More in Mark than in any other Gospel, and probably because Mark wrote his Gospel, uh, hearing about everything through Peter, it emphasizes the failures of Peter more than the other Gospels. And so it's so important when we know that Peter was the one that said, Jesus, I'll even die for you. And yet the next day, or that same night even, denied even knowing Jesus three times. And now, with, with Peter having no chance to ask for forgiveness, thinking that Jesus is dead and gone and that he's an utter failure, the angel says, go tell the disciples and Peter that I will meet them in Galilee. Brothers and sisters, if Jesus is really risen, if he has conquered death, hell, and the grave, then we can know that forgiveness is real. And we can know that our sin and the evil we see in the world and the death we experience is not the last word, does not have the final say. And we desperately need good news in the world today. I don't know how many of you have seen online um, the actor John Krasinski from, I think he was originally in The Office, the sitcom The Office, and then he's been in several shows uh, since then. He and his wife have this great little uh, show that since the COVID crisis started, they collect stories every, I don't know if it's every week or every few weeks, they collect stories from all over the country, from children to adults, all different situations of just good things that are happening. And if you've never watched one, I'd encourage you to do it. You'll probably end up in tears. And it's called Some Good News. In the midst of all the bad news, here's some good news. And it's really encouraging. But aren't we desperate for good news in the days that we live? And the whole Gospel of Mark is about the good news, the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And he wants us to get in on it. And last, night, last week it climaxed in the crucifixion of Jesus, but then it, the other side of that is the resurrection. And if the resurrection is real, which we believe it is, that Jesus is alive today, then forgiveness is real. And there is, a, there is an answer to sin and evil and death. They do not have 
the last word. There's not just some good news. There's great news, even in the midst of the bad news that we're living through. Matthew chapter 26, verse 27 and 29. And I forgot to mention earlier, we're going to be receiving, participating in communion after the message this morning. So you, uh, hopefully you gathered your things. But in, uh, in the communion Passover passage in Matthew's gospel, it says, Then Jesus took the cup, and when he gave thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for, the, for many for the forgiveness of sins. The death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus is is first and foremost about the forgiveness of our sins. The forgiveness of our rebellion against a holy, loving God. But it's more than that. It's also about the conquering of everything that is anti-life and anti-God in the world. Revelation chapter 21 that we've read a few times, I think, throughout this series the, the, the writer of Revelation in his vision said, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from, out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne, speaking the throne of God, saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them, and he will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. The resurrection of Jesus was the beginning of that new day. And we aren't all the way there yet, but his resurrection is is the... the confirmation that that day is coming and that it's real and that as we follow Jesus now, we participate now in anticipation. We participate in his good work now in anticipation of that day. Even though we have tough times, even though we struggle with fear and depression at times, we are people of hope and good news because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And finally, the third implication of the resurrection, from, and I get this again from verse 7, partly, is that we can live hopeful, faithful, kingdom-centered lives marked by sacrificial love and service. If Jesus has really risen from the dead, if death is not the end, then we can live hopeful, faithful, kingdom-centered lives marked by sacrificial love and service. In verse 7 at the end, it says, tell the disciples that he's risen and tell them that Jesus will meet them in Galilee just like he said. That would have been shocking in itself because Galilee is, is nowheresville. It's in northern Israel. And um, it's actually more connected to Gentiles than Jews. The center of Israel worship and the center of, of power is in the city of Jerusalem. That's where anybody and everybody would have expected a risen Messiah to go and make an appearance. But Jesus and the purposes of God shun the religion of the day. They shun the power politics And he says, I will meet you in Galilee, and we're going to start a new movement a long way from the centers of power. He is going ahead of you into Galilee, and that is where you will see him. We live in a time of great fear and a great uncertainty, and we live in a time of religious and political polarization. 
Jesus is not calling us to choose a side in all of those things. Jesus is to call, calling us to himself, and he's calling us away from power politics and away from manipulative religion, self-righteousness and, and self-serving, and he's calling us to meet him in Galilee. He's calling us to step away from those things and to go be a part of the beginnings of the church of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God, and to serve with him right now in the way of the cross, the way of sacrificial love, and we can do that because we know that Jesus is risen from the dead and that no sacrifice we make now can compare with the joy of what we will receive when he comes to make all things new. Mark chapter 10, going back a few verses in verse 42, Jesus prepares them for this. He says, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man, Jesus himself, Son of Man, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The only reason Jesus could do that and would do that is because he knew he was going to rise from the dead. He knew his crucifixion and his death and his resurrection were going to defeat all the, all the spiritual forces that were working against him and was going to overcome all the forces, uh, religious and political forces of the day. And we can join him in that kind of life. We can live hopeful, faithful, kingdom-centered lives marked by sacrificial love and service because Jesus has risen from the dead. Let me close with this verse as we prepare to receive communion. Matthew chapter 6, verse 31 through 34. Jesus says, so don't worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? What shall we wear? Don't let the fretting of life um, get over, uh, overwhelm you. For the pagans, the godless, run after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But here it is in verse 33. Because Jesus has risen from the dead and he's called us to meet him in Galilee. He's called us to meet him away from the sinners of religious and political power. He says, but seek first his kingdom, the kingdom of God, and his righteousness, and everything else, all the things we're worried about, will be given to us as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I know most of us listening this morning are Christians. We're, we're followers of Jesus. We're attempting to follow him as faithfully as we know how. And we've heard... We believe in the resurrection of Jesus, and we've heard a whole bunch of Easter sermons, and so this is nothing new. But can I just remind us afresh this morning that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the foundation of the hope that we have. And if Jesus hasn't really risen, if we give up on anything, but if, that's the, if we give up on that, we've lost everything. It's all just pretty words and hallmark cards. But if Jesus Christ has really risen, then we have every reason to trust him. We have every reason to know that we can, there's, we can never be too far, too far gone for him to redeem. We can be confident that death and sin and disease don't have the last word. And we can give ourselves away and be people of hope and sacrificial love because we know he is coming to make all things new. We can live seeking first the kingdom of God. I hope that this is an encouragement, I know it is to me, to, to lean into that and trust him like we never have before.